Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. So today we're going to cover a topic I love, mindfulness. Our guest is Janet Fouts, and she is going to talk about how she found herself overwhelmed and hip deep in self-doubt, depression, and anxiety, and lots of maladaptive behaviors, and she stumbled into mindfulness, and from there changed her life. So she's going to talk about her new book, Microdosed Mindfulness, which I love the title. And I love the idea of little small moments of mindfulness in building resiliency and self-awareness. So it was a great conversation. I loved talking to Janet. And I hope you get as much out of the episode as I did. And don't forget, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That really does help get the Addicted Mind a lot of exposure. And I definitely really appreciate it. So thank you if you have. All right, let's start this episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Addicted Mind my guest today is Janet Fouts, and she's going to talk about mindfulness, one of my favorite topics. So Janet, please introduce yourself. Well, thanks, Duane. Gosh, how do I introduce myself? I'm a lot of things. I'm an author, a speaker, a caregiver. I do a lot of stuff. I wear a lot of hats, but the one that really floats my boat the most is mindfulness. So I'm, I'm really glad that we're going to get a chance to talk. Awesome. I am I am excited to talk with you about that. I know you have like seven books out there, which just amazes me. I've ne- I've never written a book, but uh, maybe one day, but that seems like a big number. I don't know why I'm thinking that, but it does. Well, anyway, let's just jump in. Tell me a little bit about you and how mindfulness came into your life. Well, it's... Um... You know, I've always had kind of aspects of mindfulness to my life, but I remember way back, maybe the 70s, early 80s, I decided I was going to learn to meditate. And it was really due to the show Kung Fu. 
because <clears throat> I was really convinced. Uh, I love Kung Fu. Well, I was convinced that if I just learned to meditate, that everything would start to move slower and I would be able to manage my life and everything would be wonderful. And then, you know, if somebody attacked me, I'd be able to just stop them in a heartbeat. These are things you believe right. when you're a teenager. Absolutely. And that's so funny because I, I loved Kung Fu. Oh, yeah. I had that same, that same feeling. Yeah. You know, you just thought, wow, it'd be so cool to be like him. And then I studied Tai Chi for a while. And I did meet some people who were actually amazing human beings that could do all kinds of crazy things. And then I realized that, oh, I don't, I'm too busy. I have monkey mind. I can't do this. I ran through all the usual mm -hmm. suspects. It wasn't until my partner was diagnosed with cancer and it very quickly deteriorated into an ugly situation. And oh. I didn't handle it very well. I was doing my best to care for her and to deal with the medical institution while I was running my business and helping her run hers. I just devolved into depression drinking a lot. I tried a lot of drugs. Well, not a lot of drugs. I tried a few drugs. I don't actually like drugs, but it really, right, right. it was a mess. And I didn't know how to get out of it. And I didn't want to be who I was at that time. And I had to figure out how to stop it. And I ended up going to a mindfulness-based stress reduction course, uh, a weekend oh, yeah. retreat. And it blew my mind. It was really amazing how quickly I could begin to let go of the obsessions that I had with what I had to do and how much I had to do and how I didn't have time. So very long story short, that led me to learning about mindfulness and really diving deep into studying and becoming a teacher and quitting my job. Wow. So it sounds like a profound shift for you as you discovered this. So let's jump in and talk about mindfulness and what it is and what that means, because that's thrown around all over right. the place and it's super popular and everybody hears about it. But I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Well, I think that Everybody hears about it and they have all kinds of ideas of what mindfulness is. And a lot of times they think it's really this complicated thing and you really have to do the whole Kung Fu thing to be mindful and you don't. Right. <laughs> it's really so simple when it dawns on you that all mindfulness is, is simply being aware. And when you're aware of the fact that you're not aware, you switch back to being aware again. Such a simple right. concept. and. It took a long time to get there. <laughs> right, right. Well, tell me a little bit about awareness then, what that means. And, and when you say it's about being aware, that word can be loaded. Yes, it can. Another word I like to use is notice. And that's the simplistic notice. version of awareness. For example, I'll just do a quick little thing here. Hold out your hands for a second in front of you and take a look at the back of your hands and really notice what they look like. This might be something you haven't actually done in a very long time. Have they changed? What colors are there? What textures are there? Does bringing your attention to your hands actually make them feel different? 
And that's a really simple practice. And I use this a lot. Like I used to spend a lot of time waiting in emergency rooms and you get so distracted by what's going on around you that you're not focused. You're not paying attention. You're not aware. But if I would just take a moment and look at my hands, it would help me come back to being grounded, to being centered, to being present. And I could handle stress much more easily with something as simple as that that just takes a few seconds. So to me, that's what awareness is about. It's coming back into, okay, I'm here right now. I'm not in the future. I'm not in the past. I'm here right now. So when you were going to the mindfulness-based stress reduction workshop the first time, you started to experience this. Yeah, it was kind of wild. It was only a three-day retreat and it was an amazing teacher. But what was fascinating to me was I thought, oh, I can't meditate. There is no way I'm going to be able to meditate. And yeah, I eventually figured out how to meditate and that everybody is anxious about it too. But I also met a lot of people there who were under some kind of major stress. Maybe it was work stress or they, like me, they were caregivers or they had some kind of a family thing going on. And that was what drew them there. And when I started talking to people, I realized they were all like me and everybody else is like me. You know, we have this idea that, oh, that's a very special rarefied air kind of thing. And it isn't. And so that was when I was able to let go of my resistance to being mindful. And, you know, there's this whole thing that it's airy-fairy or it's woo-woo or whatever little acronym you want to put on it, but it's not. It's just who we are. And when we're aware and when we're paying attention, we're such better human beings. So it sounds like in that moment, seeing others who were struggling kind of helped you step out of your own struggle a little bit yes. and realize, well, I'm a human being. I'm, I'm like everybody else. What are all these, these, uh, these obsessions, which you said earlier that I'm having? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting when we normalize something, meaning that we see that other people have the same issue. It allows us to have a little self-compassion. It allows us to have compassion for others because we go, oh, there are other people who are going through this exact thing somewhere in the world. And when you start to gather with people who have also been through trauma and are also looking for answers, you kind of become a community, a, a wonderful community. Of people growing together and, and learning together. Mm -hmm. One of the things, you know, this podcast is about is, is about addiction and all the suffering that comes with that. And a lot of times I hear the story of people exactly in that space, that mind space of like the obsession on their pain. I'm not saying their pain is not there, right. but the, the obsession on the pain is there, I guess, if that makes sense. And how mindfulness, first knowing that we're not alone and then being able to watch that pain from a mindful perspective helps us shift it 
change it. Yeah. And I love that you brought up perspective, Dwayne, because I really think that that is key to recovery. And, you know, I used to drink a lot. I drank a lot, way too much. And I would get up in the morning and go, oh, I feel terrible. I'm never going to do that again. And then I do it the next day. And, you know, it's part of that pattern. But what I found is that when you get up in the morning and go, oh, I'm never going to do that again. Oh, I suck. Oh, I'm terrible. And you go into all this self-abuse. It's not helping you. And if you get caught in that cycle, it's really bad. But one of the things that mindfulness can help us with is it allows us to get like a little bird up in the corner and look down and go, okay, let's look at this from a different perspective. Can we reframe this in a way that will help us to not do it again tomorrow? And it's not going to start with self-criticism. It's going to be like, okay, one of of the things they teach us in mindfulness is that when you're meditating and your brain wanders off and you start thinking about something else and you notice it and you bring it back, that's a victory. And every time we notice ourselves in that self-critical circle that we get into as addicts, we can go, okay, I noticed that. Now, what am I going to do with that? Instead of continuing that circle of self-abuse. Right. Can you talk a little bit about when you start this journey of mindfulness? Because I think sometimes when we're in a lot of pain, we want out now, you know, we want out of pain in this moment. And, you know, we sit down to meditate and we do some mindfulness and we're like, okay, maybe I'm a little better, but I'm still in pain. And just talking about that journey, that progression. Yeah. Well, I wasn't as short as it might sound. <laughs> I mean, this right, stuff is right. work and it's self-work, yeah. which can be very difficult, you know, to do that kind of self-work. And I'll tell you, at the end of the, the retreat, it was in the, the mountains of Santa Cruz. And I came down this winding road and headed on to Highway 17, which is one of the most dangerous roads in the Bay Area. And I was overwhelmed because I had gotten into this kind of cool, soft space. And now I was back to the world and I didn't like it. And it took me quite a while to start tiny and using very small practices to just, okay, I'm going to notice and I'm going to be okay with that. And it aggregates. You know, it's like in psychology, they talk about titration, that if you're going to overcome some major trauma, you don't dive back into that same trauma at 100%. You think about it a little and a little and a little, and that aggregates, and pretty soon you can start to handle that. Mindfulness is the same way. In fact, that is mindfulness. Right. Where do you think people get stuck when they start this process, what's the what? What do you see as the biggest hurdle of starting this mindfulness journey? Oh, it's absolutely self judgment. I'm not doing it right. You know that you go to listen to meditation teachers and they say, "Okay, focus on your breath." That one drove me crazy because right. I'd be like, 
Am I breathing right? Am I breathing too fast? Oh, wait, I stopped breathing. No, I didn't. You know, you get all of this mind churning going on and that's not helping you. And so when you stop, when you recognize, okay, that's judgment and you back away and you get back centered and you do that over and over and over, you start to be able to actually sit for more than a minute. And that's a, that's a victory, as you know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's giving yourself that time and patience to do it, to mm. just come back to it. Yeah. And recognizing that it's okay to come back to it, that's part of the process. And we're so hard on ourselves about, you know, oh, I didn't meditate today. Okay, stop. Look at your hands. There, you meditated. But a bang, you're done. You don't have to. That's why I talk a lot about micro practices. And my next book is going to be a microdosed mindfulness because I really believe that we just need the microdoses. We just need the moments. And right. pretty soon we start living mindfully instead of practicing mindfulness. It's like you just notice the little things in life as you're as you're walking down the street or I don't know, sitting sitting somewhere or eating dinner, whatever it is. I, I found that as I practice more and more mindfulness that it it would just your your brain changes in the way you think about things. I don't know mm -hmm. if that makes sense. There's a shift. It's hot kind of yeah, there's a, it's it's um there's this like you said earlier getting caught in the obsession and and being kind of caught in this this small world of our of our obsessional mind and then as we practice being able to step out of that and actually even just see that small world. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when we can look at things with different eyes, you know, especially in the self-judgment thing, you might say, what would my teacher say about what I'm doing right now? Or what would my best friend say about what I'm doing right now? And they would probably say, you know what, you're just learning. It's okay. And if we could just say that to ourselves, how powerful is that? Right. And so it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. I don't know if that makes <laughs> sense. It's, it's, it, it can be hard because when you're in a, emotional suffering and you're in a lot of pain and your body's mm -hmm. telling you, you've got to get out, you've got to do something, you've got to change something, you got to shift something, go over there and, uh, you know, do that, that drug or engage in that behavior mm -hmm. to stop the pain. I think that moment of sitting with it can be really challenging, even if it's just 10 seconds. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you can. And if you can yeah. do it for 10 seconds, you can do it for 20. And you just, you know, when, when you feel like crap, you want to run away from it and you want to hide and you want to yep. go watch Netflix and cat videos on Facebook in order to numb yourself. And there's tons of maladaptive behaviors that we can get into if we want to. But sometimes you really just have to go, wow, this really hurts. I don't feel good right now. And to allow yourself to not feel good. And if you allow it, the energy that you've noticed it, 
it will pass. But if you don't, if you run away from it, it's still going to be there when you get back. So learning to just slowly do this over time. Mm -hmm. Taking it in microdoses, allowing yourself a lot of freedom to go, okay, I didn't meditate this morning. I'm going to look out the window and gaze at the trees for a moment and absorb that. And that's a meditation too. Doing the dishes is a meditation. At some point, you realize that everything around you is beautiful and you haven't seen it for a long time, especially if you're in any kind of addiction situation, a stress situation, a traumatic situation. Um, this works really good with people who are dealing with PTS. And I don't call it PTSD because it's not a disorder. It's perfectly normal. But, right. you know, it's when you're dealing with that, you've got to be able to allow it and surrender it to what is in that moment and realize another right. moment's coming. And I think as you do this, it, it builds on itself and you begin to see it more and more. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It goes back to that titration idea that once you start to see the beauty in the world, you know, you might be standing in a line and just look around instead of staring at your phone and go, oh, oh, there's a flower over there. Or those people are laughing. That looks nice. Right. And I think when we talk about it in this way, if someone hasn't done mindfulness or experienced mindfulness, they can dismiss this pretty easily and kind of go, ah, it's a bunch of woo-woo. Mm -hmm. But what's really exciting about this work is that there's also a lot of research that shows that there are actually changes in the brain as we practice this process and shifts in the brain. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's really, I'm fascinated by neuroscience and neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is basically that we can change the way our brains respond to things by connecting our thoughts and our actions together. And we can actually retrain our brain to be happier, to have more joy, simply by recognizing joy more often. And if joy seems like too strong a word that you can't handle, which a lot of us do, think about calm as an example of joy. It doesn't have to be fireworks and hallelujahs. It can simply be, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, one of the things I remember in my early mindfulness practice that really helped me with that is, I, and I can't remember who the teacher was who said this, but it, it stuck with me. It was that every time my mind wandered off and I brought it back, I was shifting my neurons. Mm. That in and of itself was the process. And it made me be a little bit gentler on myself as I practiced mindfulness. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent win. Every time you notice that your mind has wandered and you come back, it's like, woohoo. And we should celebrate. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a tiny habits coach, and they believe that if you want to create a specific behavior, 
You need to have a trigger that reminds you to do that specific behavior. And then when you do it, celebrate. And celebration is really the key. Wow, I noticed. Cool. And it it can be that big. You know, allow yourself to celebrate that you did something for yourself, something that made you feel better. Celebrate that you sat with a really crappy feeling for a moment before you moved on to something else. Celebration is huge. And the more you pay attention to those celebrations and those positive feelings, the more you're going to grow them. Yes. Yes. And they'll start to multiply by themselves, which is really cool. You'll turn around one day and go, wow, I'm actually seeing the world. I'm not yelling at drivers on the road. I do a practice called loving kindness, which is, you know, if I see somebody, if I'm standing in a line, which we don't do as much these days, but I might just kind of look around and see somebody who looks like they maybe could use a hug. And I'll just wish in my mind silently so they don't think I'm creepy. May you be happy. Maybe you, may you be safe. And right. those words, when I say them to myself, I feel it. And what's weird is I really think they feel it too. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it brings that way, positive energy. Yeah. And it's just a way to bring a little more positivity the world, to the world and remove that focus that could be on something else that we maybe just didn't want to be focusing on. Yeah, totally. Tell me a little bit about your new book, <laughs> Microdosing Mindfulness. And because I love that title and I want to know what motivated you to write that. You know, no matter who you learn mindfulness from, they're all teaching what we call micro practices. And I think that as I said before, it titrates. You know, you start off with some small practices and it grows into something more interesting. And it's very much like microdosing, various things. It's about a little tiny bit can help, a little tiny bit can help, and over time it grows. And so microdosed mindfulness to me is just taking things in small bits and recognizing that. And so the book is really little tiny things that everybody can do. And it's designed for people who think, oh, this mindfulness stuff is hard. Oh, I can't meditate. Oh, you know, this is just crazy stuff. But if they can pick up one or two things from the book, it's a win for me. And it's a win for them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, When, um, when someone's out there and they're thinking about this, but they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm too busy. My mind's too crazy. I have Mm -hmm. too much on my plate. I can't, there's no way I can meditate. Um, It's never going to happen. I can't be mindful. What would you say to them? Yes, you can. Simple. I would show them, you know, I mean, we can do it. We did the thing with the hands. We can be like, okay, I'm just going to bring my attention to my feet on the floor for one moment. And just pay attention to that. When you're going into an office, for example, for a meeting, and you put your hand on the door, allow yourself to hesitate for just a moment. And then when you go into the room, you're more fully present. There's all kinds of 
tiny little practices that we can do that can make us more present, more mindful in how we respond to people, talking over each other less, and actually hearing what other people say. Would you be willing in this episode to maybe lead us on one of these journeys? I just think it would be really helpful because I think we can talk about it and Mm -hmm. kind of talk about it intellectually in our head. But at the same time, mindfulness is experiential, I think. Mm -hmm. And we only do it in the moment. So would that be something you'd be willing to do? Of course. Of course. So let's just do a little experiment right now. Whoever you are, wherever you are listening, take a look around the room that you're in and see if you can find one object in the room that pleases you. And once you find that object, make it your focus for just a moment. Where did you find it? Who gave it to you? What memories are attached to it? How long have you had it? And maybe just giving that object a little appreciation because it pleases you. And seeing where you feel that in your body. You might feel that in your chest. You might feel it in your head. You might think I'm crazy. All of those things are okay. And in that moment, we've appreciated something. And that absorbs into us. So here's an example. When you are getting a phone call, a lot of times we just pick up the phone and answering it. Let the phone ring one more time, take a breath, and then answer it. And you'll be much more present in the room when you have a conversation with someone. You won't be distracted and they will know you're not distracted. And that's a very powerful way to just come to presence. All you do is touch the phone, wait a moment, pick it up. Those kind of things can be repeated over and over and over again. When we look around our world and we're appreciating things, anything, look out the window, what do you see? We stop noticing things. We get locked up in automaticity, but we don't have to. We can make a conscious choice to do these little micro practices. Look at your hands. How are your feet? You don't have to worry about your breath. Oh, the phone's ringing. I'm not going to automatically answer it. I'm going to choose to answer it. Mindfulness is about agency. It's about having a choice in what you do next. But you can't have that choice if you're stuck up in an automatic treadmill. You need to pause and then move. It doesn't have to be a long pause. It doesn't have to be, you know, earth shattering. It's all small, but they add up. Oh, thank you for saying that. And thank you for giving us those examples. I think it shows how simple it can be. And just a moment of time, just a moment can shift our whole being into a different state. Yeah. One moment can change everything. It can change your entire day. It can change someone else's life. One moment of inattention or one moment of attention. Just think about the impact of those two things, two options. Everywhere we go all day long, 
we're coming to paths and we're making choices. Do we go left? Do we go right? Do we say yes? Do we say no? Each of those is an opportunity to be mindful. Absolutely. So we're coming up on our time. And this is a question I love to ask every guest that comes on the podcast. If someone's out there listening and there's just one thing you could tell them, what would you want to say? Just stop worrying about things and judging yourself. It's not helping. Instead, take care of yourself. Come inside, be present with yourself, and everything else will fall in place, even when it seems catastrophic. It may not be, but if you hang on to it, it's going to be a lot harder. Oh, Janet, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. If people want to find you, want to know more about you, want more information about mindfulness and uh, microdosing mindfulness, where can they find you? You can go to my website at janetfouts.com. Uh, you can also find me pretty much everywhere on the internet um, <laughs> as Jay Fouts. <laughs> I have kind of a large presence because I used to do that for a living and now I don't. So legacy is good. <laughs> <laughs> legacy is good. Awesome. Janet, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind, sharing your wisdom and uh, sharing your journey. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Dwayne. It was fun. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. There you can find links to Janet's books and her website. And if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please think about sharing it with a friend and join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day and I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.